this is Nita Erleen, and you are listening to the TRC Ministries podcast. The vision of TRC Ministries is to see individuals fulfill their calling under the authority of the Church, using the resources of the Kingdom of God. We often look at news headlines and the broken and corrupt world around us and say things like, this is insane. But how often do we wonder if we are living a life of insanity? Sanity can be defined as wholeness of mind, making decisions based on truth. If this is sanity, then operating in a state of deception, basing our decisions on untruth, is insanity. It is only when we recognize we have been deceived and are living based on untruth and turn to God for help that He can restore us to sanity. Here is Tori Bjorklund, President of TRC Ministries, teaching at Caravan Fellowship on how to live an abundant life in Part 4 of Putting on the Easy Yoke. I want to pick up from my series that I've been going through on putting on the easy yoke from Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, originally when I put this series together, it was actually, I was actually speaking to celebrate recovery. Most of us are probably aren't familiar with the different steps of these 12 step programs. And it's relevant to what I want to talk about today. So I want to read to you step two in AA. It says, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. That's the second step. Coming to believe that a power greater than us, greater than ourselves, could restore us to sanity. So today, what I want to ask is, are you insane? So far in this series, we've learned that our problem is not sin, but bondage. God has already dealt with the issue of sin, but we are kept in bondage by deception. We are kept in bondage by deception. We learned we must cooperate with God to be free from bondage. We cooperate when we hear, when we receive, and abide in the words of Jesus and choose to pattern our lives after them. That's the wise man who built his house on the rock, heard the words of Jesus and acted on them. Jesus said, if you abide in my word and my word abides in you, then you will truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We learned that deception is being misled by a false appearance. That's what deception is, being misled by a false appearance. It's a way of thinking that does not see things as they really are. So when you think about things that does not correspond to reality, that is deception. We learned that we are deceived about life, or we have been deceived, and many people around us are deceived about life, going with that. Definition then, there's a way 
of looking at life, a way of seeing and understanding life that does not correspond with reality. It seems right, but as the Proverbs say, in the end it leads to death. We learn that the devil has promoted this way of seeing, this way of thinking, in order to deceive us about life. He, Jesus said, has come to steal our life, to kill and destroy us, but Jesus has come to reveal true life and to give us that life in abundance. We learn that there's a way of thinking that is being promoted to enslave us, and that way of thinking is to focus entirely or primarily on our physical existence as the means of obtaining satisfaction. Satisfaction with what? Satisfaction with life. A focus primarily on our physical existence as the means to obtain a satisfying life. To seek satisfaction in this life by fulfilling the desires connected with our physical existence. That's the one way of seeing things. That's the way that the devil has been promoting through the way of the world. The world, the flesh, and the devil, those are the things that the Bible warns us about, and they're connected in that way. The devil is putting forward a systematic way of seeing. That's the world. In biblical terms, that's what it means. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. It's a, it's a system of thinking about things. He wasn't talking about terra firma. But there's a contrasting way of thinking that Jesus promotes. And that is to give up our quest to live our life our way and agree to live the life of Christ his way in our body. That's the contrasting way of seeing things. That's what is the opposition, in opposition to the world. Again, the world is a way of thinking and a system that's been put in place and fostered to deceive us and bring us away from the view of life that Remember, Jesus said, those who seek their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will find it. What does that mean to lose your life or give up your life? He said, you have, in order to come after me, you must take up your cross. And in Luke, it says daily, take up your cross and follow me. What does that mean? What's this, what's this cross? The cross represents a death, a death to what? A death to our quest to gain from our life what we desire in life and instead be willing to take up his quest for what he desires from our life and to live in a way that exemplifies his life in us. So that's kind of the outline so far of what we've gone through. All of this is summed up by the first of the 12 steps. So we were just talking about the steps of AA. The first step is we admitted we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors that our lives had become unmanageable. That, my friends, is where 
I was when I came to Jesus. So aside from, you know, addictions or not, things can be out of control. Have you ever been in that position? Have you ever had something in your life that just seems out of control? Some of the things that we can think of could be lust, for example, or greed. Um, you know, could just be the the search for a good time, uh, the partying mentality. But there's other things that can be taking control of us. It could be money. It could be worry. It could be uh, health. It could be things. I was with a friend of mine yesterday, and we were talking about our... Uh, um, cylinder quotient, whether or not we've, we've exceeded our cylinder quota. And I was counting up my cylinders. I was up to about 20 before I got out of my pole barn. I got, I got a V8 and a V6, so I got another 18 just sitting in my driveway. Just maintaining that stuff and, you know, trying to keep the moth and rust from destroying the things that we treasure can get out of control. So this is the idea, is that we are powerless over our impulses for these things and our lives become unmanageable. And that brings us then to the second step, which is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now, why the use of the term sanity? Why sanity? You might say to yourself, I don't think of myself as insane. Let me give you a definition for sanity. Wholeness of mind making decisions based on the truth. Wholeness of mind making decisions based on the truth. If that is what sanity is, then operating in a state of deception is the opposite of sanity or insanity. Which is what's deception? It's being misled by a false appearance. And we're operating not according to the truth. Making decisions on something other than the truth. That's insanity. If, ins if sanity is whole-mindedness, making decisions based on the truth, then insanity is what deception is really about. When we operate in a state of deception, we're making decisions based on untruth, okay? We're not operating according to the way things really are. That's deception, and that's also insanity. Okay, so for example, if we act as if the physical world is all that exists, then we're not operating according to the way things really are because there really is a spiritual existence that is not a part of this physical world, okay? Um, we're operating outside the reality and therefore outside of sanity. Now, I've referred back several times to Romans chapter 1, and you can turn there if you want, but I want you to listen to this paraphrase of what Paul wrote to the Roman believers. This is written by uh, Eugene Peterson in The Message, and it's a paraphrase of the Bible in modern language, and I particularly like 
the way that he puts this. I'm going to read this. It's chapter 1, 21 through 32 is what I'll be reading. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth, filthy inside and out, and all this because they traded the true God for a fake God and worshiped the God they made instead of the God who made them, the God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh, yes. Worse followed. Refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women. Men didn't know how to be men. Sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another. Women with women, men with men, all lust, no love. And then they paid for it. Oh, how they paid for it. Emptied of God and love, godless and loveless wretches. Since they don't, didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. Rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering and cheating. Look at them, mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued god-bashers, bullies, swaggerers, insufferable windbags. They kept inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditched their parents when they get in the way. Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded, and it's not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well they're spitting in God's face, and they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. Kind of puts Romans 1 in a little different light, doesn't it? But if you read that and then you read through the other translations, you, it's pretty illuminating and you'll get something, you'll see stuff there that you maybe hadn't seen before. I think this is a perfect description of lives out of control with an excellent explanation of how they got there how lives get that way out of control. This is insanity. And it begins with rejecting the truth that God has revealed. Remember, we went through that process and in the uh, parable of the sower. And the first thing is hearing and receiving the truth. This is the other side of that, rejecting the truth that God has revealed. Refusing to worship God the creator, and instead worshiping the created, which often means simply putting our own desires above the will of God. You may not even realize that you are deceived, and for that reason, you may not realize that you are insane. However, if you're honest with yourself, you know you have been and may still be unsatisfied with the life you are living. 
you know that at some point in your life, you expelled God from involvement in your life. You may have wanted him involved, but on your own terms, right? You may have asked him to remove some of the consequences. That's the most common thing. God, I want you in my life, remove the consequences of the decisions that I've made. You might have asked him to remove the desires, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing to ask. But really, that's not involvement. That's intervention. God wants to be involved. He doesn't want to just continuously swoop in and intervene. He wants to be involved in the process that carries you through your life. And when he isn't involved, it carries you in the direction Paul was describing. When he is involved, your decision-making process changes and it carries you in the direction that Jesus talked about with the sower that bears fruit in various levels of fruitfulness. So you may want God to intervene, but if you don't give him any say in the decisions that lead to your need for intervention, you'll keep needing intervention. This is the insanity from which we need restoration. It's operating outside of reality when we think and act with disregard for the will of God. I'm going to read once again. I think Paul is instructive on this matter. He wrote to the believers in Galatia. This is from Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8, again from the message. Don't be misled. Remember, we know that as don't be deceived. What is deception? Being misled by a false appearance. <clears throat> don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. It just puts it right in perspective, doesn't it? The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. It's an interesting way of looking at that passage that we're pretty familiar with. Many of us can relate to some of what Paul describes here. Fortunately, this isn't the end of the story. Paul writes more of the story in his letters, to his letter to the believers in Corinth. This is Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Don't you realize that this is not the way to live? Unjust people who don't care about God will not be joining in his kingdom. Those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it, don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. A number of you know from experience what I'm talking about. For not so long ago, you were on that list. Since then, you've been cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus, our Master, our Messiah, and by our God, present in us the spirit. So this is how God restores us to sanity. He gives us a fresh start by placing his spirit within us. He gives us a new life. We talked about this last time. Bringing our dead spirit to life, providing all we need to experience true life, true life in abundance. What we must do is die to the life we are currently living. 
What does it mean to die to that life? Giving up our quest to live our life our way. We must die to the life we are currently living and exchange it for the life God offers us in Jesus Christ. It's really, I just can't stress enough, a deception. The proposed satisfaction from the things this world has to offer in a life that depends on our physical desires being met is a self-defeating way of living. And it's hard to do that if you don't see that that is truly a better life to live. And that's really where it begins. That's what the truth, the seed that's planted, that's sown by God, remember, was the good news of the kingdom. The kingdom and the vision that Jesus paints of the kingdom of God is a vision of something so much better. You remember the parable of the uh, pearl merchant? He came across this priceless pearl. And it isn't like, woe is me. Poor, poor me. Poor, poor, pitiful me. I've got to go sell all my little pearls to get, you know. It's like, that stuff just isn't even interesting to me anymore in comparison to this. And that's really where God wants to bring us when we embrace the words of Christ, the teachings of Jesus. And that's really what he was putting forward was a vision. That's why he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found treasure in a field and went and sold everything he had so he could buy that field. It's like that pearl merchant. That's the vision that Jesus is putting forward. I need to leave you with a caution here. Sometimes when someone says, fulfill the will of God for our lives, we think, try harder. Yeah, I'm going to do this. We're going to try really hard. This is really not an issue about trying. This is an issue about deciding. It's an issue about deciding to see things as they are, to accept the picture that Jesus painted, that God has been painting for a long time through all of the history of mankind about his kingdom and his desire for us to be part of it. It's an issue of deciding that that is what you want. It's an issue of admitting the truth that the life for which we have been striving is no life at all. And the life that Jesus Christ is offering is true life indeed, abundant life, as he said. Righteousness, peace, and joy. You remember that Paul said, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Is that what you want? Righteousness, peace, and joy? By the way, you don't get peace and joy without righteousness. They come as a package. Here's the thing. It's an issue of catching the vision for life and saying, I must have that. I must have that at all cost. And intending to have that life by allowing God to show you how to enter in. He does the work. It isn't a matter of us saying, boy, i got to try even harder. Philippians 2.13, you all familiar with that verse? 
It is God who works in you to will and to act according to what? His good purpose. You see, it's wanting that purpose and asking God to give it to you. We have to admit, he's involved in that process as well. All right, so make a solid decision to pursue the life of Christ in exchange for the life you are pursuing now, if you haven't made that decision already. You cannot have truth while believing a lie. You don't realize that? You remember in Fiddler on the Roof, one guy says something, Tevia says, you know, you're right. And somebody else says something totally opposed to what the counterpoint. He says, you know, you're right. And the third person says, he's right, he's right. They can't both be right. And he says, you know, you're right too. You can't hold the truth and a lie at the same time as that are opposed to each other. Well, Paul said it this way in Romans 8. The mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the spirit is what? Life and peace. And he's talking about what does it mean to have the mind set on the flesh? It's a focus. It's a way of seeing that this physical existence is the means of satisfaction in life is all that there is, is what you're living for and pursuing. The mind set on the spirit is a mind that admits the truth of God, that sets itself on the things above, as Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, from whence your life comes, as Jesus told Nicodemus, the birth from above, the life from above, a focus on that brings life and peace. Salvation is not only about living in heaven someday. How many times have I said that? I hope you're aware of that. It's about living that same life on earth that you will someday be living in heaven. That's what salvation is about, living the same life on earth that you will someday be living in heaven. It's experiencing the eternal kind of life now by exchanging the life of death for a life of um, life, abundant life. All right, Paul was talking to Titus. This is Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14, also from the message. I want to read it to you. I think he says well what I wanted to get across. God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Are you familiar with this passage? Salvation has appeared to us. Do you remember that? God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation's available to everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. This new life is starting right now and is whetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. 
He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us a people he can be proud of, energetic in goodness. I just love the way he puts that. So if you're ready to make that decision, many of you have, I know. Many of you have. How about we re-up today? I told you I'm going to try to remember each week to challenge us with the with a decision, to call for a decision. I'm going to pray a prayer that um, I prayed in the past, and in, there are some areas in my life that I think this still applies to. Jason was talking about that a little earlier this morning, and, and you can pray it with me. You don't have to say it out loud. Just simply say it to God. This is the way I would suggest and and if this is your first time praying this this would just that's a wonderful thing and you should share that with somebody dear god i recognize that i have made a mess of my life by trying to live it my way i really do want the true life you offer the life that jesus came to give the life of righteousness peace and joy I renounce the selfish life I have lived in the past and ask you to help me to truly come alive and live each day. The eternal kind of life you give in this body. I know I can't do it on my own strength, so I have to ask you to work in me, to will and to act, to accomplish your will in me. God, I often have desires for the wrong things, for the things that lead to death. I need you to put within me the new desires. Help me to resist and overcome the desires that do things that are not in harmony with your life and your will for me. Thank you, God, for being ready to give and forgive. I believe your promise and accept your spirit with my whole heart. I am your man or your woman to do with as you please. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on my behalf so I can have the life I truly want. It is in your name I make these requests. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. And for more information on TRC Ministries or to contact us, go to www.regenerationcenter.org.